Hello, welcome back to Adorn Podcast. This is episode 89, and today we're going to cover Matthew chapter 11 and 12. Hi, friends, and welcome to the Adorned Podcast. We're your hosts, Erin and Casey. We would love for you to come join us each week as we discuss what it means to be made beautiful by God's Word. Whether you are a college student walking to class, a mom folding laundry during nap time, or a boss babe sitting in rush hour traffic, we hope that we can encourage and inspire you to pursue a deeper understanding of the Bible. So Aaron, why don't you give us a little bit of context for where we are heading into chapter 11 of Matthew? Okay, so um, like we've been saying as we go through here, this is the gospel of Matthew, and <laughs> take it way back to the beginning, and we talked um, through the Sermon on the Mount, and then we most recently saw Jesus commissioning his disciples. We said that he gave them a mandate, a mission, and a message to go and proclaim his kingdom, um, and now what we're going to see is Jesus is facing like real opposition mm-hmm. in the form of Pharisees, and just there trying to already trying to condemn him, and I just was thinking about this. We didn't like prepare to talk about this, but I was just thinking of how it's kind of similar to when we saw he was baptized and then he immediately went to the wilderness and mm-hmm. was, you know, tempted by the enemy. And we see this theme again of like, oh, we're making way for the kingdom. We're commissioning disciples. We're in prayer. We're actively like advancing the kingdom. And then immediately what we face is people trying to like shut it down. Yeah. And if we see that in Jesus's life, like we need to expect that as well in our lives. It's like the more we're advancing the kingdom and really trying to make a name for Jesus, we're going to face opposition because mm-hmm. Jesus did. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. I think that's something we can expect. And I think that that's what Jesus was telling the disciples last yeah. week when we talked about it. And I think that it's something that we need to be prepared for. Mm-hmm. We go to Ephesians and read about the armor of God and yeah. just think about that every day. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, that's kind of where we're going as we enter chapter 11. So this first section is quite a bit long. So I'm going to let Casey read it because y'all know I'm not a good reader. Oh gosh. And then now watch me stumble <laughs> over all my words. <laughs> okay. So the heading is messengers from John the Baptist. When Jesus had finished instructing his disciples, his 12 disciples, he went on from there to teach and preach in their cities. Now, when John heard in prison about the deeds of the Christ, he sent word by his disciples and said to him, are you the one who is to come or shall we look for another? And Jesus answered them, go and tell John what you hear and see. The blind receive their sight and the lame walk. Lepers are cleansed and the deaf hear and the dead are raised up and the poor have good news preached to them. And blessed is the one who is not offended by me. As they went away, Jesus began to speak to the crowds concerning John. What did you go out into the wilderness to see a reed shaken by the wind what then did you go out to see a man dressed in soft clothing behold those who wear soft clothing are in king's houses what then did you go out to see a prophet yes i tell you and more than a prophet this is he of whom it is written behold i send my messenger before your face who will prepare your way before you truly i say to you among those born of women there has arisen no one greater than john the baptist Yet the one who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. From the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven has suffered violence, and the violent take it by force. For all the prophets in the law prophesied until John, and if you are willing to accept it, he is Elijah who is to come. He who ears to hear... He who has ears to hear, let him hear. But to what shall I compare this generation? It is like children sitting in the marketplaces and calling to their playmates. We played the flute for you, and you did not dance. We sang a dirt 
dirge for you and you did not mourn. For John came neither eating nor drinking, and they say, he has a demon. The son of man came eating and drinking, and they say, look at him, a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. Yet wisdom is justified by her deeds. So that's a lot, but we felt like it made the most sense to kind of tell that complete story instead of break it down. So as we go through it, we'll break it down a little bit more. But I think the first thing that we like to kind of summarize this passage. And I thought this was helpful. My ESV Bible, when talking about all of chapter 11, it says, or 11, yeah, it ends at 30, right? Yes. So all of chapter 11, it says that first Jesus is responding to John the Baptist's questions with a mild rebuke, but then a glowing tribute. And so, so I thought that was kind of interesting first a mild rebuke and then a glowing tribute. But before we even get to that, I think we need to realize like, what is happening? Because John was just like pointing to Jesus yeah. and saying, yeah. here he is, but now he's in jail. And he's like, it looks almost as if he's like questioning who Jesus is. Yeah. And I was so confused by this. Mm-hmm. And I even, you know, we've talked about before how we like to read the passage without our notes, you know, right, without right. our study Bible um, at first and kind of sit in it and just let the Holy Spirit kind of talk to us. And I sat in it and sat in it and sat in it some more. And I was like, Lord, like, I just, I don't understand this. Like, why is John so confused? He was just declaring this is who Jesus is. And so finally I went to my notes and I'm, that's when I'm so thankful that we have these theologians that have come before us to help, you know, shed some light on what the text means. Yeah, for sure. I mean, one of my notes said that, um, John is probably just confused because when he went to prison, he was like, this doesn't line up with what I thought the Messiah would do, you know, like right, it, we have right. this, we see this all throughout scripture where people are confused by Jesus is coming. Cause they're like, that's not what I thought the Messiah mm-hmm. was going to do. This yeah. isn't what I thought the Messiah was going to do. So, I mean, my ESV Bible, and there's some different takes on this, but some theologians tend to, to think that maybe he was like, he was just confused and it wasn't his expectations. Yeah. I, that's exactly what mine says too. It says, presumably John heard the reports of Jesus's exorcisms and miraculous healings, which show that he is the Messiah, but Jesus allows his forerunner to be imprisoned by the wicked Herod, mm. evoking John's question, whether he is indeed the Royal executor of divine justice for which God's suffering people have been longing. Mm. So John's like, if you're bringing justice, why in the world am yeah. I in prison? Yeah. You know, so he's just questioning that. And that's okay. Mm-hmm. Like, Jesus doesn't really get mad about right. it. He's like, it's okay. And um, a teaching I was listening to by Jen Wilkin, she talked about that. She was like, it's okay to question. Mm-hmm. Um, but bring those questions to Jesus. bring those questions to Jesus. Which is what and, he did. And... Yeah, and we'll look at more about how the real thing that um, Jesus is addressing is like unrepentance Mm -hmm. and just flat out unbelief. Mm -hmm. Like questioning is not the same thing as unbelief. I think like as if far as like talking about what takeaways we can take from this passage, I think one is that John is kind of Jesus is giving us through John an example of what to do with our questions. Yeah. Like instead of just like talking to someone else about it or just like hearing, you know how sometimes when we want to hear a certain answer, we ask certain people. (laughs) So true. Where we're like, I just want you to affirm what I'm already Mm -hmm. thinking. Um, That's not what John does. He sends people straight to Jesus and is like, hey, answer my questions. And that's what we are to do. Like we see all throughout the Psalms, like through David, he brings his doubts and his questions and his anger and his fear and everything to Jesus. And, and we, 
see, like you're saying in my Bible, say like he does have a, a gentle rebuke, but then he has a glowing, what did it say? A glowing tribute. Yeah. So he still, he doesn't say, and now John, you're the worst and it's good mm-hmm. you're in prison because you're doubting. Like that's not what he does. He, he has this kind of strange phrasing that we'll talk a little bit about, about how John is great, but he's not as great. And right. so we'll break that down a little bit. But what he's doing is he's not saying you're stupid for mm-hmm. asking these questions. Yeah, it's yeah. good. So this this phrasing that we're referring to where it says um, it's first is that verse 11 mm-hmm. where it says truly I say to you among those born of the women there has arisen no one greater than John the Baptist yet the one who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he what did you find on that so this is another part where I got caught up and Jonathan even helped me look through commentaries and stuff because it's kind of confusing this is what my Bible note says the least in the kingdom are more privileged than John because they stand after the cross and resurrection and thus having received the fullness of the spirit and the revelation of Christ's full ministry in the new age, they participate in what the prophets only saw from a distance. Thus, the least in the kingdom of heaven, in quotes, is greater than John because they have received more revelation than any Old Testament prophet, including John, the greatest prophet of the old age. Mm. So that's really confusing because I was like, how were they, how did they know that the least in the kingdom Mm -hmm. referred to the people to come like that was confusing to me and in Jonathan's commentary it said it said basically the same thing so the only thing we could guess is maybe it goes back to the original language Mm -hmm. um, and how that's interpreted I don't know did you find anything else about the only thing I found that was I mean it doesn't contradict anything you're saying at all but that it could potentially mean like when we hear greater in our minds we think greater of like more importance yeah but what my study bible said that this could mean that it could just be like it's greater for them because they're in heaven yeah versus being here on earth yeah. but i think either one yeah i think it's a super a confusing bit. part yeah <laughs> i think too the part that like caught me that i was like what because it says he is elijah who is to come and i was like no he's not elijah he's, not he's elijah. john the baptist yeah. but what um what i found when studying this was that elijah was like a, a name that everyone would recognize right that was a prophet mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. what i forgot about when studying this that I was reminded of through study is that there had been this long silence. There had been this long time without prophets, Mm -hmm. you know, that we have no record of between the old Testament and the new Testament. And this, this period where it seemed like God wasn't speaking. Mm -hmm. And then all of a sudden enter John the Baptist. And so they're like, Hey, what do we do with this? Like we've heard of hundreds of years ago, but we've never experienced prophets and things like that. And so they were like, it was this to kind of help them recognize John the Baptist had a similar role to Elijah. Yeah. Yeah. That's good. So let's talk about 18 and 19 a little bit. Okay. I totally laughed at this (laughs) No, I did too. Like I I just totally laughed. It made me just think like, like my response would have been like, dude, is nothing good enough for you? Like everything I do is wrong. Cause he's like, John the Baptist didn't eat or drink and you got mad at him and said he had a demon and I come and I eat and drink with the people and you, you know, like, and you rebuke me. And and it just made me laugh because I was like, is nothing good enough for you guys? Yeah. it re- really made me think about our culture, though, because yeah. I feel like we live in such a culture of discontentment. Mm-hmm. And for Lent at church, we're going through 40 days of gratitude. Mm-hmm. And it and it's like Jordan said, Jordan was like, OK, so for Lent, we're giving up complaining. Yes. And like that has rung through my head mm-hmm. every single day this week. Mm-hmm. And I'm just like, oh, my gosh, we're in such 
a culture of complaining. Like mm-hmm. nothing is ever good enough. We're not thankful for anything. Yeah. So I'm really hoping over the next 40 days that's something we can kind of shift at least in our house. Yeah. Um. But yeah, I was like, wow, things haven't changed a lot since right? Jesus's day. Yeah. Because I, I think, think that's the same thing people would be doing now too. That's a really good reminder. And, and when you're listening to this, it's a couple of weeks into Lent, but it's still good time to jump onto the no complain train. Oh, absolutely. That rhymes. No complain train. <laughs> no complain That's complain awesome. Train. <laughs> I'm going to start telling my kids that. But I think too, like one thing we see here that we've seen all throughout Matthew and that we're going to continue to see throughout Matthew is, is Jesus is kind of like, dude, keep the main thing, the main thing. And I can't remember, I wish I remember who told me that first, that phrasing, but it has like rung through my head over and over again, because we're so tempted to look left and look right and try to make excuses and point out differences in the, the types of church we have or the types of worship we have or the community we have or the cars we drive, like everything. Yeah. We're just looking to everything else, either to complain, like you're saying, or to distract. And mm-hmm. Jordan had another phrase at church that he quoted from his grandma that was like if if god or if the enemy not god if the enemy can't make us bad he'll make us busy Busy. and Mm -hmm. we kind of see samples of that in here where we're like the Pharisees and the different, they're like, well, why are you eating with that person? And what you like distracted by all of and the it's other like, things. What does it matter? Yes. Like, what does it matter? Yeah. Jesus is right in front of you. Yes. And you're worried about who he's eating with. Come on. Yes. Keep the main thing. Yes. The main thing. And Jesus yes. is going to, he doesn't say those are not Jesus's words. <laughs> Let me just put that out there, but he's going to keep that point driving yeah. through this, the rest of the, the Bible yeah. actually. Oh yeah, for sure. <laughs> for sure. Woe to unrepentant cities. Verses 20, through uh through 24 then he began to denounce the cities where most of his mighty works had been done because they did not repent woe to you Chorazin! woe to you Bethsaida for if the mighty works done in you had been done in Tyre and Sidon they would have been they would have repented long ago in sackcloth and ashes but I tell you it will be more bearable on the day of judgment for Tyre and Sidon than for you and for you and you Capernaum will you be exalted to heaven you will be brought down to Hades for if the mighty works done in you had been done in Sodom it would have remained until this day. But I tell you that it will be more tolerable on the day of judgment for the land of Sodom than for you. That's pretty harsh. Like if pretty you harsh. aren't familiar with um, Old Testament scripture, that what he's saying when he says um, it'll be worse for you than the land of Sodom. God rained down like sulfur fire, fire on Sodom. So it's kind of like, how could it actually get worse than that? But mm-hmm. the sermon I was listening to, they were saying like, he's saying that it would be worse than that because when we think of Sodom, we, we think of the earthly, um, condemnation that they mm-hmm, experienced. Mm-hmm. But what he's saying is that this is eternity. Oh, eternal. So yeah. he's saying, I didn't it, even think about it that like way. Longevity. Right. <laughs> this is going right. to be worse for you. Yeah. And that's essentially, um, what I had heard too, that he's saying that they're, they're no, uh, they are no better than these cities that were pagan and that these cities that represent wickedness because mm-hmm. Jesus is among these cities and they're choosing not to repent. And so they're no better than, than Sodom and mm-hmm. Tyre and Sidon and all these cities that represent wickedness. Also liked how Jen brought out, and um, when she said in you Capernaum, will you be exalted to heaven? You will be brought down to Hades. Apparently Capernaum had this like, um, saying that they were a city that was exalted uh, to heaven. Mm-hmm. And so she, it was this, Jesus was like jabbing them, you mm-hmm. know, saying, no, you're not going to be exalted to yeah. heaven, you know? Yeah. So I thought that was kind of funny. I think this is, um, this would need to be an entire like 12 week series on its own. But I think one thing that we see from here too, is that there is um, human responsibility. Like he's oh, like, yeah. he's like, I am here and you are choosing to not mm-hmm. repent. So there's this tension of like, mm. yes, God is sovereign. God is in control. Right. You know, we are, you know, firm believers in that, but yeah. there is also this tension of, but you chose to not repent. And so this kind of like tension of 
what do we do with that? You yeah. know, like we have to wrestle mm-hmm. with that. That's something I wrote a blog about this like 10 years ago mm. about sovereignty versus and responsibility mm-hmm. and like where that tension is. And I mean, I didn't really have an answer. It was kind of just me um, working it out, working it out, mm-hmm. you know, through this blog. But because I, I believe there is, we yeah. have responsibility, but God is sovereign. Mm-hmm. So that tension is, is tough sometimes. Yeah. Yeah, we're studying soteriology at school right now, and that's why I'm fun, thinking of that. <laughs> and it's often, like, if you are a big believer in the sovereignty of God, like, sometimes you can use it as an excuse. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And that was where that blog was coming from with me, because I'd heard that several times, like, well, God is sovereign. Mm-hmm. Instead of someone, like, owning up to their yeah. mistakes, it was just like, well, it'll all work out for mm-hmm. good, which is true, but that doesn't mean out. that it's a cop out. Yeah, yeah, yeah for sure. Yeah. Now the good part. <laughs> I mean, it's all good as a Bible. We, we can breathe a little bit in this But I told part. Casey, I was like, this part is, feels like a breath of fresh yes. air. Like you've been running a sprint mm-hmm. or you've been like boxing almost. Like, oh, that's a good analogy. Like boxing. Yeah. And mm-hmm. then all of a sudden you like, you get your break and you're like, okay. okay. So I'll read this one. I'll give you a break. So this um, is titled, Come to Me and I Will Give You Rest, verses 25 through 30. At that time, Jesus declared, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and understanding and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for such was your gracious will. All things have been handed over to me by my Father, and no one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son, and anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light." We automatically see that other side of the tension of human responsibility right here. That's what I was thinking. Here's <laughs> God's sovereignty. Anyone who the son chooses mm-hmm. to reveal to him. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yep. But you know what? The first thing I noticed, and I don't think I've noticed this before when reading this passage, is we tend to just jump to that part, like, come to me all who are he- labor is heavy and all that stuff. But I, I've never caught the, the fact, like, Jesus stops and he prays he's first. He's praying. Yeah. I so he's really just, either. like, cast this judgment, right? Yeah. Like, it's going to be worse for you. And then he, the next thing he does is he prays. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I thought that was really it cool. Was really I'd never cool. noticed that before. Really cool. I like how this is pointing out um, Jesus's humility and mm-hmm. his gentleness and meekness and, um, just a reminder of, I mean, I think it's that contrast because we've seen kind of some harsh words, yeah. you know, like, and then he comes back and he's like, but I'm also these mm-hmm. things too. Mm-hmm. And I think a lot of times we think that those things can't um, live together, but yeah. they can, they can. Or we tend to focus on one versus yeah. the other. Yeah. Like God is so just, but then we forget that he's also merciful and gives us rest right. or the other right. way around. Like or the other way God around. God is yeah. just a big teddy bear mm-hmm. that we go yeah. to for rest or whatever. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think um, when that part about that phrasing of, he knows the father except the son. And then the son knows the fa- is the only one who knows the father except who they reveal him. And I think like a good reminder is kind of what we're talking about. Like we need to look at Jesus like in his whole self, not just parts of right, him. Right. Like we need to look at all attributes of him and all attributes of God and not elevate one above the other. But also like how um, blessed we are that we have God's word in order to do that. 
Mm-hmm. Like a lot of times I, I think I've said this on here before, like I get jealous of the people who were there because like, oh, they got to see Jesus yeah. in real life. Yeah. But we get to see all aspects of Jesus, mm-hmm. except how John at the end says we don't see everything right. because there's too many. But that's exactly what it was talking about a minute ago. Yeah, how it was true. saying that we are going like we are blessed because we get to see the fullness mm-hmm. of the work of Jesus. Yeah. That the Old Testament prophets didn't get yeah, to say, true, see. True. So that's exactly that's what Jesus is saying. Like, we get to see it all. Yeah. So even though we weren't there in person, we yeah. get the full story. I so. think, too, like, if we're thinking about this full context of all we've read in Matthew, um, which I can't summarize much right now, but, <laughs> like, if we think about all of that and then we get to this part in 11, after all of this, you know, like you're saying, can be harsh, but then it's kind of balanced mm-hmm. and, And then what we see is this invitation and like Jesus is constantly extending invitations. Like last week we talked about how he's inviting us to be a part of his kingdom work. And and now we see him inviting us into rest. And so it's like, we can get caught up in the sermon on the Mount or in these, you know, commission of the disciples and think this is just a lot of work. Mm -hmm. Like it's a lot of work hard and it's, you know, we're called to walk, you know, above reproach and we're called to spread the kingdom and, and all of these things are, you know, the most important because they have eternal value, but sometimes Mm -hmm. it can feel a little bit heavy. Mm -hmm. And so when then Jesus is like so gracious to add this part in here where he's like, but when it feels heavy, like come to me. And I had never really known what a yoke was. I just kind of like read that part Mm -hmm. through. And I remember um, one of my mentors, she was explaining this to me when we were studying this passage years ago. And she was like, what a yoke was, was if you think of like two cattle, I don't know if they had cattle and I don't know what animals they would have used. Oxen, I think. Yeah. Yeah. And so it was like one side was bigger than the other. So it would be like one person was carrying more of the load. And so that that younger one could raise up and grow up into it. And so what Jesus is saying is like, come here. And even though it seems like a yoke will be evenly distributing Mm -hmm. the weight, it's not. He's like, come here and let me lift your weight off of your back. That's cool. And so I thought that was a really helpful way to understand it because I'm like a yoke. Like I thought we were talking about eggs the first time I read it. I was like, give you (laughs) an egg. Like different. Y O L K is yolk. Oh, I didn't know that. Guys, <laughs> spelling I a college ma- degree. <laughs> spelling lesson a day. It's okay. That's I'm so I'm teaching funny. my kids Latin. We're all good. <laughs> I didn't know that. That's embarrassing. Okay. No. Let's move on. I think you are not the only person that thinks that. Because people say egg yolk like it's oh, I always thought people were just weird saying yolk, like adding <laughs> L to it. Okay, let's move on. Tell us a little bit about what the word lowly means. Okay, so I looked up the original (laughs) wording to these verses. So gentle can also be translated as meek, which, you know, we are big fans of the word meek on here because meek is this idea of not weak, but restrained strength. Um, But then lowly is this word tapinos, tapinos. Yeah, Um, which means which can also be translated as humble. And so when we think about it that way, if we were to switch those two words, when we read it, what he's saying is for I am meek and I am humble in Mm. heart and you will find rest for your souls. So what what he's saying is that um, he's giving us an example of what it looks like and he's giving us an example of his humble life. But his humble life is 
serving. What is humble life is when he's saying, when I'm taking this yoke, like I'm bringing someone in and I'm lifting their load Mm -hmm. for them. And that's what it looks like to live a humble life and to serve in a humble way. And so when we're, when we're thinking about this passage, we tend to think of it very like selfishly, which it's true. Jesus is saying, come to me and I will give you rest. But he's also saying like, I'm giving an example to you of what it looks like to live this life where your, your whole point isn't to come to me just to Mm -hmm. get rest. Your point is to come to me to get rest, to then extend rest. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's good. That's really good. But I mean, we see that through his whole life. We see that when he's washing the feet of the, you know, before he dies, we see that through his death, which Mm -hmm. we've talked about is, you know, the ultimate humble way to die. We see that the way he entered the world, like there's humility is just the, like this huge thread through Jesus's life. And this is just another way that we see that. Mm -hmm. That's good. So now we're going to talk a little bit about Sabbath and we're entering chapter 12. Jesus. I'm really excited to talk. Sorry. I'm oh, just excited ahead. to talk about this. I feel like Sabbath is like a big theme that's keeping yes. coming up over and over it again. It's everywhere right now. I and feel I feel like, like there's still confusion about mm-hmm. it quite a bit. And yeah. so not that we're yeah. going to clear everything up. No, but I don't think we will. We can but hash it we out can, at least. We can talk about it. Yeah. So Jesus is Lord of the Sabbath. This is verses one through eight. At that time, Jesus went through the grain fields on the Sabbath. His disciples were hungry and they began to pluck heads of grain to eat. But when the Pharisees saw it, they said to him, look, your disciples are doing what is not lawful to do on the Sabbath. He said to them, have you not read what David did when he was hungry and those who were with him, how he entered the house of God and ate the bread of the fair of the presence, which is Uh, It was not lawful for him to eat, nor for those who were with him, but only for the priest. Or have you not read in the law how on the Sabbath the priest in the temple profane the Sabbath and are guiltless? I tell you, something greater than the temple is here. And if you had known what this means, I desire mercy and not sacrifice, you would have not condemned the guiltless. For the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. So first of all, I just feel like Jesus is being super fierce right here. Like he's like, do you not know? Like your whole pride is in the fact that you know the scriptures. scriptures. Like later on, he's like, hey, you think you know the scriptures and that's what's going to save you? It's not. Mm -hmm. I am. Yeah. And like, so he's like taking to them exactly where their pride is. Right. You know, and I just think that's so just like almost like feisty, Mm -hmm. like not sinful, obviously, like he's not being vindictive, but he's like, this is where you're finding your identity and your Mm -hmm. pride and you're even missing it there Mm -hmm. like don't you know about David don't you know about the law the very things you like pride yourself on and Mm -hmm. shame others for not knowing Mm -hmm. so I just I like feisty Jesus yeah but he's this, that same thing, right? Like, keep the main thing the main mm-hmm. thing. Like, why are you pointing out these little things that you think are wrong when you don't even have any grounding for what you're saying that they're wrong for? Right, right. And that Jen Wilkin pointed that out in her teaching that um, what he's saying here, like, if you think about, like, modern day church and, like, the staff at a church and the pastors mm-hmm. at a church, like, they're the ones working the hardest mm-hmm. on Sundays, yeah. on the Sabbath. Yeah. Does that mean they're being sinful? Oh, that's no. a good point. They're working like for the Lord. Like yeah. They're not being sinful. That's yeah. not, that's not what, um, that's not the purpose of yeah. the Sabbath. Yeah. I think though, I think like this, this passage, <coughs> excuse me, it would be easy to take out of context and be like, we don't have to do any kind of Sabbath anymore. See, right. Jesus said right. that. He was like, no, it's fine. Um, but if we look at the whole gamut of scripture, is gamut a word? think so if we look at the whole story of scripture we see like jesus isn't saying now just work your whole life away and i mean we just came off of a passage of saying come to me and i will give you rest so jesus isn't saying like forsake everything the law said about the sabbath he's just saying there's a new and better sabbath and Mm -hmm. it's me yeah yeah Yeah, it's good 
So the phrase, um, I desire mercy and not sacrifice, that can kind of... That was really confusing yeah, to me. That can kind of, it, it, and it said earlier in Matthew 2, I think in chapter 9, um, and last summer, it's funny because we're in almost March now, and we started studying for Matthew back last summer, yeah, which is crazy to think about. So last summer, as I was reading through Matthew, like through the first time before we started recording, I stopped on that, and Jonathan and I kind of hashed it out and talked about it for a little while because it was just a phrase that stood out. And um, he's actually quoting Hosea 6, 6 here, which says, for I desire, and here's one of Aaron's favorite favorite phrases, steadfast love mm. and not sacrifice the knowledge of God rather than burnt offerings. So basically what he's saying here is the posture of the heart is more important than actions or legalism, which is what he's been saying. Exactly. That's, that's God's heart, right? Like right. he, he wants the best for us, like his laws and these, um, quote unquote rules that he put out for us were mm. never, um, so he could have control of right, us right. or never about like legalism or restricting yeah. or punishing or anything like that. It has always been about what's for our good mm-hmm. and what's for his glory. And so um, I just think that it's a good reminder. Like, I just love that, that yes, like we are supposed to live a life of sacrifice, but that that is not the main thing, like Aaron keeps saying, like the main thing is the posture of our heart. That's really good. And my, my study Bible, like completely affirms what you're saying, saying that Jesus is not challenging the Sabbath law itself, but rather their interpretation of it. Right, right, exactly. And so he says like, he's doing this with all different parts of the law. Like they keep coming at him with different, like Mm -hmm. he's breaking this type of law. He's breaking this type of law. And each time Jesus is like, you're missing the point of the law in its original, like their original reason for Sabbath was to bring rest mm-hmm. and well-being. Right, so healing right. someone would bring them well-being. <laughs> exactly. And We're going to talk about that a little more here in a yeah. second, but exactly. Yeah. Okay. Verses nine to 14, a man with a withered hand. He went on from there and entered their synagogue and a man who was there with a the withered hand and asked him, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath so that they might accuse him and he said to them which one of you who has a sheep if it falls into the pit on sabbath would not take hold of it and lift it out how much of how much more value is a man than a sheep so it is lawful to do good on the sabbath then he said to the man stretch out your hand and the man stretched it out and it was restored healthy like the other but the Pharisees went out and conspired against him how to destroy him. So my Bible note says similar to what Aaron was just saying a second ago. It says the problem is not that the Pharisees observed the Sabbath, but that they misinterpret it and turn what is supposed to be a delight into a burden. Like the Sabbath has always been um, with the purpose of being a delight for us, not a burden. And then also like not only are they turning it into a burden, but something that's dangerous, like you're not supposed to protect people or take care of people because it's the Sabbath. Oh, like, I know. Can you imagine if we were like that today? Like someone got hit by, you got in a car accident and we're like, can't come help you. Yeah. What if, what if like paramedics didn't work on Sundays? (laughs) Taylor Taylor would actually really (laughs) like that because he could come to church every week. Taylor would be like, nope, (laughs) washing my hands of that. It's the Sabbath. Like it sounds ridiculous. Yeah, that's a good point. But it made me think whenever Jesus said, um, which of one of you has as a sheep, if it falls into the pit on the Sabbath, will you not take hold of it? How much more value is a man than a sheep? So it made me go back to when we talked about the pigs mm-hmm. and how the people were mad about the pigs yes. drowning. And yes. we were talking about how like 
they were more worried about these valuable pigs than mm-hmm. they were the souls of their neighbors. Yeah. And so like that sounds absurd, but I think that it's a good reminder to us. Like how many times are we worried about everything else around us and not the people mm-hmm. right in front of us mm-hmm. and like really seeing people. And I think that's what Jesus was saying here. Like, this man's hand yeah. is withered and I'm trying to make him better. And yeah. y'all don't even care. Yep. Like yep. That's so sad. Yeah. I think we're seeing that same theme of like, same as we saw with a little bit with John the Baptist of like, y- it's different than your expectation. And so your automatic response is it's wrong. Right. And right. it's like, that's, mm-hmm. that's not right. Like he's saying, no, just because the Messiah didn't come exactly how you thought he would come. I'm still the Messiah. Yeah. Like I yeah. get to decide who I heal and when I heal them and what I <laughs> yes. do. Like I'm the creator of the entire world. Yes. You can't like put limits on me. Yeah. Here. And they were trying, they were yeah. trying to trap him up. Yeah. Like they weren't like, even, how can we get him? Yes. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So frustrating. Those Pharisees. <laughs> <laughs> okay. God's chosen servant verses 15 through 21. Jesus, aware of this, withdrew from there and many followed him and he healed them all and ordered them not to make him known. This was to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah. Behold, my servant whom I have chosen, my beloved with whom my soul is well pleased. I will put my spirit upon him and he will proclaim justice to the Gentiles. He will not quarrel or cry aloud, nor will anyone hear his voice in the streets. A bruised reed he will not break and a smoldering wick he will not quench until he brings justice to victory and in his name the gentiles will hope i just love how it's like super casual like and he healed all of them yep <laughs> like it doesn't even it just says, he just healed them and all. many followed him <laughs> and he healed them all yeah yeah and like no big deal yeah <laughs> but I, I i think it's interesting too and this is just maybe one of those things that we'll never really understand but it makes me laugh every time that he tells them not to tell anybody but nobody listens and it's like he, he had to know that no one was going to listen yeah. to him. But he still told them not to tell anybody anyway. Yeah. And so I don't know. Is that like maybe I should have studied that more. Maybe that's like something from the Old Testament, like some kind of prophecy or something. Because it seems really funny to me that he was like, well, don't tell anyone. yeah, I mean, because it was referring to Isaiah talking about how he was going to come like in humility and yeah. everything. Yeah. So maybe. Yeah. So he's like, OK, don't make a big deal, guys. So my Bible had a good note on this um, on 16 through 21. Let me find it. Okay, it says he ordered them not to make him known. Um, Isaiah 42, 1 through 4 is cited as an explanation of why Jesus commands people not to reveal to others who he is. He has come to proclaim and establish justice, but not by a showy display of power and not by leading a political or military movement. The Messiah, who is gentle and lowly in heart, will enter Jerusalem in humility and defeat his and our great enemy through humbly enduring crucifixion. Hmm. So it just has, I think it just has to do with that humility, but it really got me thinking about this a lot because Jesus was pretty insistent on his life, not being showy, right? That's Mm -hmm. what we've been talking about. We've been talking about how he lived a life of humility and how many times, um, do we try to make things surrounding like sharing the gospel, like showy Mm -hmm. and flashy Mm -hmm. And like make it like this big, just, I mean, show, Mm -hmm. like I can't think of another word to to describe it. And I think once again, it it comes down to your heart posture in it, but it's, I don't know. It just, it's something I kind of have been battling with in my head. Like where's the balance in like 
appealing to culture and like knowing what is relevant in Mm -hmm. our day and age, but also following Jesus's example of humility Mm -hmm. and like the gospel alone is enough. Um, so I don't know. That was just, that kind of made me pause for a minute and think about it. Yeah. It's probably one of those things that's like, that's between you and Jesus and to try to not necessarily copy yeah, someone that's else. That's good. Yeah, that's yeah. good. Um, I feel like I have never, for some reason, read this part before because maybe it's just, you know, the spirits lie or the scriptures alive and active. But that last phrase where it says, until he brings justice to victory and in his name, the Gentiles will hope. Like, I just love that. Like, I love that it talks about justice, victory, hope. Like, there's so many encouraging words just in that little phrase. And what a great reminder that, you know, he's telling the Pharisees, like, this gospel, this kingdom, like, this is this is where the Gentiles will hope. Like, we don't find our hope in Old Testament, like, law. That's not what's right, going to save yeah. us. Like, our hope is in this Messiah. And it's going to be bring justice and victory. Mm-hmm. And I just think it's like, it fa- sounds like a battle cry yeah, almost. You know? Yeah, yeah. Um, verses 22 through 32 blasphemy against the holy spirit then a demon oppressed man who was blind and mute was brought to him and he healed him so that the man spoke and saw and all the people were amazed and said can this be the son of david but when the pharisees heard it they said it is only um it is only by Beelzebul, the prince of demons, that this man cast out demons. Knowing their thoughts, he said to them, Every kingdom divided against itself is laid waste, and no city or house divided against itself will stand. And if Satan cast out Satan, he is divided against himself. How then will his kingdom stand? And if I cast out demons by Beelzebul, by whom do your sons cast them out? Therefore, they will be your judges. But if it is by the Spirit of God that I cast out demons, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. Or how can someone enter a strong man's house? and plunder his goods unless he first bids the strong man, binds the strong man. Then indeed he may plunder his house. Whoever is not with me is against me, and whoever does not gather with me scatters. Therefore I tell you, every sin and blasphemy will be forgiven, but the blasphemy against the Spirit will not be forgiven. And whoever speaks a word against the Son of Man will be forgiven, but whoever speaks against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven, either in this age or in the age to come. I remember, like, this has stuck with me and I think this is a good thing for us to talk about and like kind of clear this up a little bit. But I remember like being so afraid when I was a kid because I had heard this passage and I had taken it to mean that if you ever say like if someone asked you like do you believe in God and if you ever said no then you were going to go to hell. Right. And I was like so scared especially in middle school when you like you care so much about what other people think Mm -hmm. and you're like what am I going to do if someone asks me and I answer wrong then like Mm -hmm. and I had so much weight that I carried around over this because I had misunderstood the passage Um, and so I think we should break it down a little bit but before we even get to that just to summarize this because there's a lot of like weird not weird but it's very expounded and I feel like we could summarize it in like two sentences Mm -hmm. so basically what he's saying is how could demons cast out demons right like why, that would be why would they do fighting that? themselves right that would be pointless that doesn't even make sense yeah. um and so basically he's like saying what you're saying is dumb you're wrong mm-hmm. i'm not yeah. of the devil because right. that doesn't make any sense um and he's like but if i'm not of the devil then i'm obviously of god and if i'm of god then the kingdom is here you better mm-hmm. recognize it yeah yeah um so that's my paraphrase yeah of that <laughs> the bible according to aaron yes so i think that several different places i heard jen wilkins say this i read this in my bible notes it said that if you're questioning whether you've committed the unforgivable sin then you haven't oh. because people people that even care about that yeah 
believe in God. Like mm-hmm, if, if mm-hmm. you acknowledge that God is God, like then you haven't. It's the people that completely reject God that don't care. It's unbelief that he's referring to here. So that was helpful to me. How would you define the word blasphemy? Oh, that's hard. I don't know. Um, I see that's, I always thought growing up that it was like speaking negatively against mm-hmm. God. Mm-hmm. So I feel I like in that that's from studying this and from what you're saying, it, it seems more of like saying that he doesn't exist. Rejection. Yeah, like complete like rejection. rejection. Yeah. 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 Um, hopefully we're right. I mean, that sounds, <laughs> that sounds, I mean, that's according to the notes, according to what yeah. Jen said, I mean, it was very much the same thing as like, if you are even wondering about this, then you don't have to worry about it. Yeah. My ESV note, I hadn't read this before, but it says that, um, they're trying to attribute to Satan what is actually accomplished by God right. and in doing so there, this is a rejection of God and his commands. Yeah. And so, so this, once again, that word rejection. Yeah. It says the sin committed today is only committed by unbelievers who are deliberately rejecting the ministry of God. Yeah. Yeah. So that's really helpful because I have always been afraid that I was unknowingly going to commit that sin and be like, ah! yeah. yeah, yeah. So that, that is really yeah. helpful. Jen said, we live in this weird tension of knowing Satan is bound, but that he's currently working. Yeah, yeah. And she said, we need to make war on sin and work against the deeds of darkness, knowing that ultimately Satan submits. Yeah. So we don't need to just like we were talking about earlier, there is a responsibility. We don't need to just lay back and be like, well, one day, you know, Jesus wins anyway. So we don't have to worry about anything. We don't have to do anything. No, we need to go to battle every single day, but we can rest easy knowing that ultimately Jesus does. I think the best analogy I've heard about this, and we may have talked about this on the show before was, um, you have to have go with me here to some history of a history major. So it's similar to um, during World War Two. It was like Hitler knew that they had lost. Oh, like yeah. Hitler is a yeah. good analogy for Satan. So I don't feel bad saying yeah, that. But yeah. Hitler, um, <laughs> like he knew that they had lost, but he didn't finish fighting. Mm-hmm. Like he didn't just stop and say, well, we're going to lose. I'm yeah. not going to try anymore. Yeah. And it's kind of the same for Satan. Like, I don't think this is a perfect direct analogy, but it's kind of the same for him in the fact that like he knows he's doomed, yeah. but he's yeah. going to try and do as much damage as he can mm-hmm. before it's in over. In the meantime. Yeah. yeah. It's yeah. good. I like that. Um, A tree is known by its fruit, verse 33 through 37. Either make a tree good and its fruit good, or make the tree bad and its fruit bad, for the tree is known by its fruit. You brood of vipers, how can you speak good when you are evil? For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. The good person out of the good treasure brings forth good, and the evil person out of the evil treasure brings forth evil. I tell you, on the day of judgment, people will give account for every careless word they speak. For by your words you will be justified, and by your words you will be condemned. Words. Words. Words matter a lot. So Erin and I both went to this little seminar with Jen Wilkin back in the fall, and I remember she had us mark all the references to the tongue in Proverbs, and there was like, A lot, a whole lot, because words matter. And like it's saying here, what's in your heart will come out of your mouth. And I I feel like I see this so, so plainly, like every day, because if I have spent time in the word, if I've spent time in prayer, then my words to my children are so much different Mm -hmm. than when I just get up so much more gracious, so much more intentional too. Mm -hmm. um, than when I just get up and hit the ground running and don't spend that time with Jesus first. And then I also feel like it's the same for them. Like I can tell where their little hearts are based on their words. Um, One of our girls specifically gets like, she has the biggest heart and is like the sweetest, 
um, little girl. And so when she starts saying ugly things to mm-hmm. her sisters, mm-hmm. I can always tell there's a heart issue. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Always. And so I feel like as a mom, we get to see this picture like really yeah. play out. Yeah, that's true. That's true. I think it's really funny. I was like, you you brood of vipers, which reminds us of context, right? Because if we yeah. were just to read it and didn't have that phrase, we would forget like he's specifically, he's calling them out. Yeah. He's like, Those you Pharisees. Pharisees. Yeah. And this would have been a really, I was listening to a sermon. He was saying this would have been a very recognizable analogy for them mm-hmm. because they were so, um, like there was a lot of agriculture and like that would have been really yeah. familiar to yeah. them. And they would have known that a good tree could not produce a bad right. fruit. And so right. it would have been something that was really relatable to them. So the sign of Jonah, verses 38 through 42. Then some of the scribes and Pharisees answered him saying, Teacher, we wish to see a sign from you. But he answered them, An evil and adulterous generation seeks for a sign, but no sign will be given to it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. For just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of a great fish, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. The men of Nineveh will rise up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it. For they repented at the preaching of Jonah. And behold, something greater than Jonah is here. The queen of the south will rise up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it. For she came from the ends of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon. And behold, something greater than Solomon is here. I am pretty sure that I would have totally lost my cool here and just said something like, Signs? Are you kidding me? (laughs) After all you've seen. But again, we see Jesus being so, so patient and just essentially telling them, it's okay, you'll see the ultimate sign soon. And I thought this was interesting. Jen brought this out in her teaching. She said, the purpose of the miraculous is to increase the faith of the faithful. She said, Mm. most of the time when you see miracles, it wasn't to convert people. That's interesting. Like it wasn't to bring people to faith it was to just increase the faith of the faithful well, I've never thought about because that. when we were talking about like the showiness of Jesus you know and I'm thinking well he's doing these signs and he's doing these miracles so isn't that kind of showy but I'm like he wasn't doing it in order to spread the gospel these miracles right. were in order to increase the faith of the and that people. makes sense why he would say don't go tell a bunch of people about right this. yeah right mm-hmm. i thought that was interesting okay so verses 43 through 45 it's called return of an unclean spirit get ready because it's gonna get weird when the unclean spirit has gone out of a person it passes through waterless places seeking rest but finds none then it says i will return to my house from which i came and when it comes it and finds the house empty, swept, and put in order. Then it goes and brings with it seven other spirits, more evil than itself, and they enter and dwell there. In the last state of the person is worse than the first. So it, so also will it be with this evil generation. So I listened to a Sproul sermon on this, um, and it was really funny because the first thing he said was that he doesn't really understand this passage. And so he spent a lot of time reading other theologians and he found that most of them also didn't really understand this passage. And a lot of that is because we have a lack of understanding of like spiritual um, like demonology. Right, right, and yeah. so we, we can't really fully understand it. But he did say some things that I thought were helpful as he was talking about that even demons are looking for rest. And like Jesus had said, I'm the one who gives rest. And the reason the demons are looking for rest is they'll never find it because they're never going to acknowledge that he's rest. So I thought that was a little bit helpful. Um, And he also talked about, he was saying that this unclean spirit that was dwelling, it, it, 
I have two things I want to say and I'm mixing them together. So first, demons cannot reside in Christians, he said. Mm -hmm. He said, because once the Holy Spirit dwells with you, a demon cannot dwell with you also. So I was like, oh, that makes me breathe a little bit because demons are a little bit scary Uh and I don't understand it. Um, And then the other thing he said that was helpful was that this person that is dwelt by this unclean spirit he's saying he's trying to fix himself like it says the house was clean and sweeped but mm-hmm. like of his own volition because he's not indwelt with the holy exactly. spirit exactly yeah so that when these demons come back they're like oh there's more room for us mm-hmm. now because this mm-hmm. person has thought they made themselves better mm-hmm. and they ended up being worse so that's also confusing but that was kind of how he explained it yeah and that makes sense because my um the notes in my bible say something similar which makes sense because this bible is edited by Sproul. but it says the dispute over jesus's power to exercise demons leads him to use exorcism as an illustration to show that ridding oneself of evil influences only creates a dangerous spiritual vacuum unless God's spirit takes up residence like it Mm -hmm. talks about in Romans 8 9 a person purged by self-denial becomes vulnerable to reinfestation by graver evils such as pride hypocrisy and contempt Mm. for others interesting so that's essentially the same thing like like I said that makes sense because it's kind of the same person that wrote it but um But yeah, I think that was good. Jen also, it, it, Jen went a whole different direction with this when she was talking about it. She said that this is referring to this enormous opportunity that has come to the Jews, but that yet the Jews will not receive it. That mm-hmm. Jesus is saying like, I've come, like the Jews are are my people, like, but yet you're not, you're refusing to receive mm, this. Interesting. I thought that was interesting. I was like, whoa, that's a whole different direction. Yeah. So. Um, This last little bit is Jesus's mother and brothers, verses 46 through 50. While he was speaking to the people, behold, his mother and his brother stood outside asking him to speak. But he replied to the man who told him, who is my brother and who are my brothers? And stretching out his hand toward his disciples, he said, here are my mother and my brothers. For whoever does the will of my father in heaven is my brother and sister and mother. So this part is just essentially saying like that we're we have spiritual family that we're not just bound by our blood relatives but when someone receives Christ when mm-hmm. they're doing the will of the Father then they're now part of our family. And I think like for you and for me Casey like we are both blessed with really good family yes. and so to yes. us that this seems like kind of harsh but to anybody who has any type of you know hard family background or anything Mm -hmm. like that this is so refreshing yes like I was talking to someone um this week and they were like it's just like any scripture about being adopted into the family Mm -hmm. or being called a son or daughter like that is so life-giving to me Mm -hmm. and like I don't have that desperation because I'm blessed with incredible God-loving parents but like reading it from a different perspective really does totally changed the meaning of the text like it's oh oh god says i'm a part of this wonderful family mm-hmm. and that i am as close to jesus as his earthly family you know what i'm saying mm-hmm. and so yeah. i i thought that was really good to like to try to step back from your own personal experience and think about what he means on a bigger scale yeah and this was even brought out on that that gratitude guide that i was talking about it was mm-hmm. talking about family and it said this isn't just blood relatives yeah. this refers to spiritual family too and as you were talking just now, it 
it got me thinking about like those of us that are blessed with good, like um, God loving parents Mm -hmm. and siblings. We need to think about those people that aren't, and we need to be family to them. Oh, that's good. Um, Because I think it's easy for us to be like, well, you know, we have our family, like Mm -hmm. whatever they say, like blood's thicker than water or whatever, you Mm -hmm. know, like, but we need to remember that not everybody does. And it's, in a way, I think our responsibility to care for um, other believers as brothers and sisters. That's so good. Let, so. Let's leave with that. Like, let's let that be our challenge as we yeah. leave. Like, everybody who's listening, find one person to, like, just extend, like, yeah. sisterly care to them. Yeah. it's good. We'll be back next week. With chapter 13. Chapter 13. If you've enjoyed this episode, please feel free to subscribe and leave a review on iTunes. And most importantly, share with a friend. The beautiful music that you've heard on this episode today is by the incredibly talented Katie Cobbs.